Hello Habit Mechanics, it's Dr John Finn here. I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. Welcome to a shorter episode of the Habit Mechanic podcast. Remember, you can listen to live episodes of the Habit Mechanic podcast inside the Habit Mechanic University app, where you can ask us questions live and we will answer you during the live streamed podcast. Inside the app, you can also access your Habit Mechanic Toolkit. You can also watch our live masterclasses and join our live Change Challenge coaching sessions. You can download the app for free. We know that as we head into, um, well, I suppose we're in the autumn now, technically, heading to the darker nights and the winter months, it's harder to feel good about, well, many people feel it hard, find it harder to feel good. And that word happiness starts coming back up again. How, what do I need to do to be happy? And it, there was a big uh, article in um, one of the broadsheet newspapers here in the UK, which I took a, a screen grab of on my phone at the weekend, How to Be Happy uh, by the Harvard professor who knows. Um, I forget the name of that guy. But I thought it would be good for us to unpack ha- unpack happiness and talk about what it is and what we need to do to make ourselves feel better about ourselves in a consistent, um, robust, scientific way. So what I want to... Do first of all, and do do chime in, do ask questions in the chat. I just want to give um, a high level overview of what I understand it means to be happy, because people ban this about all the time. But what does it mean? Neurobiologically, what does it mean? I see happiness as a three-part equation. The first part of the equation is getting your brain working well. That means good sleep, good diet, good exercise, good des diet, exercise, sleep. The um, DesSwap tool is actually available in the app now. Um, if you go to the, the training section in the toolkit, you'll see the diet, uh, sleep, exercise swap tool. It's a really powerful tool. So we, we've got to get those basics right. The other thing we need to get right to get our brain working well is good social relationships. We know that many people are not, seeing as many people as they're used to in the day because they're working remotely, and that can have a negative impact on some people. So if we're going to be happy, the first thing we need to do is get our brain working well. The second part of the equation is what we call hedonism. We need to have some fun. We need to let our hair down. But we need to do that in a way that doesn't damage brain function, that doesn't impede good sleep, that doesn't mean we're not eating well, that doesn't mean we're not exercising properly. And I think the challenge we face is that all of all the hedonistic pleasures that are increasingly instantly accessible to us from fast food to social media to not even, not even having to leave the house in a day to just streaming back-to-back, on-demand TV, they actually damage our brain function. 
but we do need to have some hedonistic, hedonistic pleasures. But the danger is we get on the what the positive psychologists would call the hedonistic treadmill, where we do too much of it and it becomes damaging. We need to do some. We need to get the balance right. So the three-part equation, get your brain working well, let your hair down sometimes. The third part of the equation is we need to have experience eudaimonic experiences. That is, we need to um, make progress on meaningful work. So we all know that feeling when we create or achieve a big, a big milestone where we submit a great piece of work, where we finish a really great project that we've been working on, or where we lose some weight, or where we manage to build a better sleep habit, or we manage to build a better productivity habit. So in order to have eudaimonic experiences, you need to delay short-term gratification. So that means managing the hedonistic experiences. Because it's easier than ever to do short-term gratification activities, it means it's harder than ever to have eudaimonic experiences because we struggle to delay short-term gratification. Um, so that's the three-part equation. Interested to hear people's insights on this. And we can go a step higher than those three levels. and We can say, well, actually, feeling happy is really driven by how much control we feel we have over our lives. And doing those three things in balance will give you more control over your life. So that's my take on it. Um, Andrew, I think you've got some follow-up questions, and then people do, please do um, share in the chat if you do have insights, follow-up questions, etc. Yeah, um please do as john says uh share those questions we'll have a look out for them um john i know i've heard you say in the past you don't know anyone who doesn't want to be happy which is also i think something um on the face of it quite self-evident but also uh a bit revelatory if that's not a contradiction in terms it, it, it is something so essential to us all um the the differences between hedonism and eudaimonia i think are very interesting to me why why is i suppose eudaimonia um harder to achieve harder to get at in in the happiness continuum because it's less brain friendly our brain is designed to save energy so it likes to do everything um uh, it likes to do things that don't take a lot of energy but give it a big reward that's like that's why we like short-term gratification and what's happened over the last 10 years or so is that we've increasingly been surrounded by products like social media that has understood what our brain pref prefers to pay attention to, and it just gives us the endless ability to get these short-term gratification hits. But, the, but ultimately, they stop us making personal progress, and they also make it harder for us to maintain really good brain function. And I know that in the Habit Mechanic book and in Habit Mechanic University, you guide people to, if you like, if, if, if it is right to couch it in these terms, make feeling this personal progress easier, make it, make it more efficient to experience eudaimonia. Can you give us an overview of how we should go about doing that in our daily lives and work? 
Yeah, so the key is is, is to habitualise the things that make achieving eudaimonic experiences easier. So that make achieving focus and, um, well, yeah, really focus easier because stress disrupts focus. Confidence challenges disrupt focus. Not dealing with pressure disrupts focus. It all comes back to can we control our attention? Can we get our attention onto the things that are most helpful for us? Hence, helpful attention control. So if we can build better habits that, that allow our brain to work better in the first instance, that's helpful. So better sleep, diet and exercise habits. That's why we always start with, with those. Then building better habits around how we manage and process stress. Then building better habits around how we manage our confidence. Then building better habits around how we deal with pressure. Then building better habits around how we uh, manage each 24-hour period in terms of productivity and focus so that we can be more efficient and effective with our time, do more high-impact, high-charge, clever work and free up more time to have a great work-life balance. So really, um, if, if the only part of the happiness equation was hedonism, then we'd all be happier than ever before because it's easier to do that than ever before. But it's a three-part equation and the hard bits to do. You know, it's like if you think about the, head the hedonistic piece in the middle, it's like that's growing and it's displacing good brain function and good eudaimonic experiences. So what the habit mechanic approach is designed to do is to, is to help you to strike a better balance between those three things. It's to help you to shore up the habits around good brain function and then shore up the habits around delaying short-term gratification so that you can make personal progress and get more control over the things that you want to get more control over in your life. Talk more about that. People might not be aware of, they might think it's obvious, well, I can overeat, I can indulge in alcohol, in delicious food that's not nutritious, but nevertheless is pleasurable. But there are hidden things as well that are increasing this growth in hedonism and, and a neglect of, of personal progress. Yeah, so think about how much time you spend on social media each day and not just the time you spend on it, but the time you then spend thinking about it. Um, so think about if you don't go out for a walk, the negative impact that has, has on your brain function, the negative impact that has on your um, ability to sleep at night. So everything we do every day doesn't just have an impact in the moment, it can have a, a longer-term impact. So, yeah, I think the physical structure of the world has just changed around us where everything now, you know, before if I wanted to buy a new pair of jeans, I had to go to the high street to do that. I had to leave the house. I had to go travel, see people, meet, you know, all this kind of stuff. Now I can just pick my phone up and do it on the phone. If I wanted to um, get a takeaway, I maybe would have had to walk around the corner to go pick it up. Now I can just get it delivered to my house. We just have this, um, the world at our fingertips, literally. And 
it's just not what we're designed to do. We're designed to be moving around about 12 miles a day. We're designed to be sleeping a certain length of time. We're designed to be consuming healthy, natural foods that that nourish our brain function. Um, So just those fundamental things, you know, even before the pandemic struck, most people had to leave their house physically every day to go somewhere else, um, which was beneficial from an exercise perspective, beneficial from a relationship perspective. That was just taken away overnight and it will never come back as it used to be. And there are pros and cons to doing that, but when we're at the extremes, like we, we're not going anywhere, we're not leaving our house for a week, which I know some people are still not, that's just really unhelpful for good brain function. Does that help to add a bit of clarity? Yeah, absolutely, John. Yeah, thank you. And and what I was going to go on to say as well, in terms of the um, idea of, of hacking happiness, if you like, helpful attention control, I think it's it's helpful for you to just remind people of the, some of the tools that you have available and shared with people in Habit Mechanic University and the Habit Mechanic book, things like the Daily Tea Plan, the three-to-one reflection that can focus people's attention on their eudaimonic experiences. Yeah, well, I see Sam's asked the question there, is it possible for the hedonistic behaviours to feed into the eudaimonic um, behaviours? Well, I'd say they're all interconnected, Sam, but um, I suppose the answer to your question could be yes and it can be no as well. So they can feed in. So if I... If I just do seven days a week, I try to do five hours of high-charge focus work every day. Maybe I would personally find, you know, two or three, well, maybe three or four weeks into that, I'll be getting burnt out. So in that instance, then the hedonistic behaviours allow me to get some balance because I'm, some of the hedonistic things I might do might be recharge. So it might be, um, you know, having some really nice, delicious food on Saturday night that isn't particularly great for me, but it makes me feel good in the moment. And because I'm eating healthily the other six days of the week, it's not too problematic. Maybe it's having a day off doing lots of exercise, you know, one day a week. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a three-part equation. So we've got to get balance across, across the equation but the hedonistic behaviours can equally be really disruptive for eudaimonic experiences because they stop you doing the things you need to do to make personal progress. So so we can think here about the FAM story. So the FAM story is a tool we created, the Future Ambitious Meaningful Story, which allows you to timeline your life essentially to create a, a future a story about what's going to happen that is not, um, we know it might not come true, but we know if we plan ahead, we get more control over what's going to happen. You see that word coming back again, control. And we also know through science around self-fulfilling prophecies that if we project, if we project ahead, the things that we want to happen are more likely to happen. Like if we plan to be healthy and happy in the distant future, it's going to, more likely become a reality so by mapping out 
what we'd like to have and achieve in the next 10 years and then what that means we, we're going to have to have and achieve in the next one to four years and then the same for the next 12 months and the same for this month and the same for this week and the same for today. It allows us to understand the type of eudaimonic experiences that, we, that we'd like to have, the type of work we're going to have to therefore put in to get those eudaimonic experiences. So, for example, if I say I want to publish my next book in the next um, 12 months, then I recognize that in the next month I'm going to have to achieve this, in the next week I'm going to have to achieve this, and then today I need to work on this. And it's going to give me a much better sense of what that three-part equation needs to look like. So what do I need to do to get my brain working well? How much time can I really afford to spend on hedonic experiences? And how much time do I need to be um, investing into high-charge, high-impact brain work? And this brings us into another model that we use, which is thinking of our brain like a, being like a battery and that we have three brain states that we operate in any 24-hour period. So we've got the recharge brain state, the medium-charge brain state, and the high-charge brain state. And then every 24 hours, we've got to strike a balance between those brain states. Um, and that feeds directly into the three-part equation understanding. We can use the willpower story tool to help us to do that. So that's timelining our day, breaking down the jobs that we need to do, um, and we can, we can list things like good sleep as a job to do. We can list things like good social time as, as a job that we need to do. But we can break down those jobs into different um, categories. So we can think about some as being fairly easy things that we need to do. We call those ice, freezing ice cubes. We can think about other ones as quite mentally challenging work that we need to do. We, we think about those as ice sculptures. And then we can associate brain states. So I need to use my high-charge brain state to build the ice sculptures. I need to do, use my medium-charge brain state to freeze the ice cubes. I need to use my recharge brain state to switch off and relax, et cetera. And then we can associate activation levels, which we talked about earlier, to each brain state. So we have this really sophisticated way in the habit mechanic approach of helping people to strike a better balance across all three parts of that equation. But we also have a really sophisticated way of helping leaders to create cultures that makes it really easy for people to strike a balance, um, to build and sustain helpful habits. So I don't want to get overcomplicated in this short chat about happiness, but there's a lot to being happy and if we understand the rules, we've got a much better chance of doing it. And if the rules are driven from understandings about how your brain actually works, the efforts you put into being happy are going to give you much bigger returns. Okay, John. Well, thanks for that. Um, I don't know if there's anything further you want to say about happiness specifically in this short uh, section as we as we consider it. Um, I think one final question uh, I would say, or one final point I would put to you is if if someone's starting from from a blank sheet of paper, as it were, they haven't read the Habit Mechanic, they're not using the Habit Mechanic University app, how should they start to try and feel better, i.e. feel happier? 
Yeah, I'd start with the three-to-one reflection. So at the end of today, just write down three helpful or positive things that you experienced as a minimal. Go further if you can. Might include things like, I did X amount of exercise. I had a nice cup of coffee. I spoke to an old colleague. I was, it was cold outside. I was lucky to be able to have a, a roof over my head. Um, I really like some of the colleagues that I work with. Whatever it is, just list down as many helpful things as you can. And then the one is, what's one thing I can do better in the next 24 hours? And that just starts to train us to think in a different way. Um, and if you work with a stress coach in the app, you will have a much better understanding of why that is helpful. And it will show you some other tools as well that you can start to use. Also, if you work with the brain and emotions coach in the app, that will help to unpack the neurobiology behind being happy. And it goes into a lot more detail about what happiness means and, and what we need to do to be happy um, Yeah, in that section. So you can, you can take a much deeper dive if you want to, 